0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Would you stand with me as we're going to be in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 11, is our plan this morning to go through the book of, of uh, chapter 11 of Romans. And, and so in honor of God's word, let's stand together. I'm going to be just reading the last few verses of chapter 11, but don't worry, we're going to go through the entire chapter this morning, or most of it, and, um, and, and see what God has to say to us. But we're going to be looking at verse 33 to the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him? and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we have come together this morning uh, to worship you. And so we're asking that uh, you would open up our hearts and our minds, that you would help us to worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. We ask that by your Holy Spirit you would persuade us of the truths of your love for us, and that you would reveal yourself to us through the person of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, you know we humans we love to worship, don't we? Uh, we humans love to worship, and the reason that we love to worship is because God created us to worship, and You know, we all long for our hearts, we all long for our souls uh, and our minds to be awakened from the repetitive mundane. And that's why uh, we like to watch movies that have plot twists at the end and you go, wow, oh, got me. We love that. We love uh, being on the winning side of a three-point buzzer beater. And we also enjoy the experience, we love this experience of weeping for joy as a newborn takes their first breath, and the thrill of exploring God's creation in search of the perfect sunset and perfect mountain range. And that's because we love to worship. We love to be stirred, don't we, with wonder in our souls, and that's exactly If you were paying attention to what I just read this morning, that's exactly what Paul is doing, isn't it? He's worshiping the Lord. He's experiencing this wonder, this worship of God at the end of chapter 11. He's totally lost in worship. And this isn't the first time in the book of Romans that Paul breaks out in worship, is it? Now, just for as a reminder, from chapter 1 of Romans to chapter 8, there's one subject that Paul is dealing with, and it's the subject of Justification. Being right with God, that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Paul is, is teaching that through the first eight chapters. And at the end of chapter eight, as we've talked about before, it's as if uh, Paul enters into this deep worship. It's, it's as if he is standing on the bow of the Titanic before it went down, and the sun is in his face, the wind's blowing. In his hair, his arms are raised in worship. Celine Dion is singing in the background. And Paul is totally captured. He's totally captured by God's truths and that he loves us. And he begins to express with this confident worship, if, if our God is for us, who can be against us? If he didn't spare his own son, if he didn't spare his own son, what good thing is he going to withhold from us? There is nothing, he says, that can separate us from the love of Christ. He's worshiping. And and you know, for most of us in this room, most of us who have come to Christ, most of us who have read verses one through eight, we're not surprised by that. We actually would uh, resonate with this worship because it makes sense, doesn't it, why Paul is worshiping at the end of chapter eight. But then what happens? The cruise liner hits the iceberg in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And it's like Paul kind of, it looks like he abandons the ship and he begins climbing this steep doctrinal mountain that, and it focuses primarily on one thing, the nation of Israel and how the nation of Israel has rejected the Messiah, Jesus Messiah. And, and that's when our journey in the book of Romans seems to kind of slow down and it, it gets difficult and it seems to drag as Paul uh, takes three chapters to answer this question. Does God still have a plan for the nation of Israel? Now, most of us wanna go, yes, he does. All right, let's go on to chapter 12 where the application starts. And by God's grace, we're gonna get there next week. But Paul takes three chapters to, to, to basically say yes. God does still have a plan for Israel. And we can be like, if we're not careful, we can be like the kids in the back of the seat headed on a journey. Are we there yet? Are we? When is this gonna be over? And yet, Paul is worshiping at the end of this passage. Some pastors actually skip over these three chapters because they're, it's either too controversial or it's unrelatable to the Western mind. We're, we don't see ourselves... As much in the passage. And, and, uh, but it's important to remind you, listen, church, it's important to remind you that in the book of Hebrews, that the writer of Hebrews, he wants to go deeper into the riches of Christ with his readers and his listeners. And he rebukes them because he says, you know what, I want to go deeper with you, uh, with solid food, but you just want milk, you don't want to go deeper. And listen, Reach Life Church, we want to be a church that goes from milk to meat. And um, chapters 9, 10, 11, they are straight up solid table food. They, it's steak. It's liver. It's broccoli. It's avocado. It's everything your mama said you need that you don't want. But it's good for you. This is not food for infants. And so that means, what does that mean? It means you got to slow down. It means you got to chew on it. You got to think about it. But again, at the end of chapter 11, Paul is worshiping God in an amazing way. He explodes in worship to God. Why? And that's what I want to look at this morning is that I want to look at how deep and solid doctrine is meant to produce rich and robust worship in the heart and mind of the maturing believer. We wanna move on to maturity. And uh, right now in our nation, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's this hunger that's being stirred up. There's this desire to worship God in our country. And and many are asking, or many are talking about revival. Uh, If you've been keeping up with... uh, Asbury University, there's many that are asking, is that true revival that's going on there? And by God's grace, next week, we're going to look at that. We're going to try to answer, how do you know if true revival is taking place? But this morning, what I wanted to show us is that embracing solid doctrine helps us to grow in becoming sober, discerning disciples of Jesus who are worshiping God in spirit and in truth, in spirit and in truth. And so if we're going to join Paul at the end of this passage in worship, which I hope my prayer has been that by the end of this passage, we're all going to be going, ah, that's why he was worshiping. But if we're going to do that, it's going to take us, we're going to have to pay attention this morning more than normal. And it's going to require us to want to go deeper. So y'all with me? Okay, good. Good because we're going there, whether you are or not, okay? So I want us to remember that the question that's being asked beginning in chapter nine is, since the Jews, since the Jews are God's chosen people, why is the church predominantly filled with Gentiles? That's the question that's being asked. Well, what, what about the Jews? What's happened to the Jews? Has God's word failed? Is God finished with the nation of Israel? And if you're taking notes, And if you have the weekly on the back of of the weekly that when you came in, you uh, you can fill in the notes back there. But if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to write down is this. God always has a believing remnant. God always has a believing remnant. Now that word remnant is speaking of a smaller group within a larger group. So God always has a believing remnant. So let's look at verse one in chapter 11. I ask then... Has God rejected his people? That is, has God turned his back on Abraham's physical descendants? Paul says, by no means. Paul is saying, no, God has not turned his back on his people. And then he's going to give some examples why this is true. He goes on and says, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Basically, he's saying, look, God, I know that God has not abandoned his people because look at me. I am an Israelite by birth, and I can trace my lineage all the way back to Father Abraham, and I believe in Jesus. So I am proof that God has not rejected his people. Verse two, he says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, says Elijah. They have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Now, Paul is right here, he is uh, referencing an Old Testament account that's found in 1 Kings 18, where the prophet Elijah has just courageously, one man has stood against 450 prophets, fearlessly, unafraid, he has stood before them and said, there is only one God and God uh, through a miraculous way brings fire down and proves himself to be the God of who he is by devouring the, an, an altar that had been built. And right after this glorious and deniable victory, this one man who stood against 450 men gets scared of one woman by the name of Jezebel. And basically what she says is I'm gonna kill you because of what you've done to my prophets. And so what does Elijah do? He starts running. He runs and he runs and he runs uh, till he's finally exhausted and he comes to a place where uh, he's exhausted. And I think scripture, if you read the account, I think uh, scripture kind of reveals that he was suicidal honestly, because he's so worn out and tired. And, and he basically says, I quit. I, I have had enough of following God. I, I will want to die. He basically says, I want to die. He says, take me, Lord, because I am the only one left. Evil has prevailed. Evil has finally won. And you know, church, when, when you're in the battle like this, uh, sometimes it is easy to relate to Elijah, isn't it? I mean, if you watch the news, um, if you talk to unbelievers and coworkers and, and uh, families, family members who don't believe, who think you're crazy for believing in Jesus, when you come to a place where you realize that two plus two could equal five now, depending upon what reality you want to say it is. We live in a society now that says that. And when we see sometimes, when we see once faithful followers who led the church, who maybe led you to Christ and helped you grow in your faith, when we see people deconstructing their faith and abandoning the, their faith, that we can be tempted, can't we, to think, man, evil has won. Evil is the champion. All is lost. And so I might as well just give up. I might as well bow my knee to Baal because I am the only one left. What do you think God's reply is to that? To that type of mindset that you are the only one or we are the only ones left? Well, it's the same reply that he gives to Elijah in verse four. Let's look at that. But what is God's reply to him? He's going to basically say, no, you're not. No, no, you're not. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah, I'm doing more than you realize I'm doing. You don't see everything. I do, but you don't. Verse 5, he says, Paul says, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. And so what we see here is that all throughout history, God, no matter how dark, no matter how dreary things get, God always has a remnant. God always has a believing remnant, always. No matter what the earthly scoreboard may be saying right now, God is winning. God is always sovereign. God is always in control. God has eternal foreknowledge. And so nothing takes him by surprise. Uh, Jesus, I want to remind you that Jesus tells the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. God, listen, God is always, always doing more than we can see. And he has promised that he is not gonna desert his elect. So church, do not bow your knee to Baal. We are not alone. We are not the only ones left. He always has and always will sustain his believing remnant, those who are chosen by grace, and that right there alone should cause us to worship this morning. That truth right there should cause us to worship. Paul continues his argument in verse seven. He says this, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. I'm gonna read that again. Paul says, Israel, the nation of Israel as a whole, failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect, that is the remnant, obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. The the word stupor there means an inability to think clearly about something. Eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap. The word table there refers to the blessings of God to Israel. So he's saying, let the, let the blessings that uh, were given to Abraham, that were given to the nation of Israel, let them become a stumbling block, the blessings of Christ. And that's what happens to Israel, isn't it? They stumble over Christ. He says, let, the, let the, uh, their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. If you're taking notes, the second truth I want us to see here is that God gives us what we want. God always has a believing remnant. And then secondly, God always gives us what we want. Now, last week uh, in chapter 10, Pastor Terry uh, revealed through the word of God that, uh, that the nation of Israel had a zeal for God, didn't they? but it was without knowledge. It was without sound doctrine. They had ideas about God that were not sound. And um, they appeared to be zealous for God, if you remember. They appeared to be zealous to know God and to worship Him, but here's the problem, they were not truly open to His correction when He revealed who He was. So if you read verses eight and nine in isolation, you might go away, and and I've, I've read these verses in isolation, and gone away thinking, man, why did God harden people who were seeking Him? Have you ever asked that question when you're reading these? Why would God harden those who were were seeking Him? But here's the reason. It's because they didn't really, as they were seeking, they didn't really want Him. Yes, they were zealous. They were zealously seeking for God, just as there are many people seeking for God today in our day but we know that they didn't really want him. How do we know that? It's because when he sent his son and revealed who he is, what did they do? They rejected him. They rejected Jesus. uh, John 1.11 says that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus is the litmus test for whether or not you truly want God. The very person of Jesus who He reveals Himself to be in Scripture. Those who receive Him want God. Those who don't receive Him don't want God. If if it's not Jesus and Jesus only, if it's Jesus plus something, for example, like the Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses, they would say, speak of Jesus. They would talk about His death, His burial, resurrection. They would talk about grace. They would say, yes, it is by grace. And by what we do. Jesus says, no, it's by grace. It's by what I did. By grace alone, and our faith in him alone, in Christ alone. Well, God gives the nation of Israel what they want. And that's a scary thing. When God gives you what you want and it's not him. Hebrews 3, and this is a a passage that I share with our church regularly throughout the year. But Hebrews 3 says this, take care. Uh, Be on the watch. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort or but encourage one another Every day, as long as it is called today, day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. Here's how we know if we've come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion." We need to take this church. we need to take this warning here because I know that we all probably know somebody who once believed um, but because they did not guard their hearts they are they're no longer following Jesus. I know of a, a man who about 25 years ago in college he was on fire for the Lord he was sharing the gospel, the true gospel, very evangelistic and He was passionate and zealous for the Lord. But over time, he began to trust his feelings. He began to trust his desires, even though they opposed God's word. And uh, he began to follow them. uh, And the Lord reached out to him through other brothers and sisters. And he began to push, push them away and... What happened was uh, he ended up uh, re- renouncing his faith. He then divorced his pregnant wife. And for the past couple of decades, he's been jumping around from one social justice cause to another. And um, this past December, he wrote this post. And I want to read part of it to you to let you know where he's come from, gone to. He says, religion told me I was broken and lacking. Religion told me I was broken and lacking. And when I read that, I was like, well, actually, Jesus tells me that, doesn't he? Jesus says, I didn't come here for those who aren't broken and lacking. I came for the sick. I came for those who need a savior. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come, Come to me, those of you who know you're weak. That's what Jesus says. So, but he says religion told him that he was broken and lacking. And then he goes on to say, but then a veil was lifted and my consciousness was shifted. And then he ironically quotes Jesus. He says, the truth shall set you free. And then he says this, the truth is, I was born and always have been whole, sovereign, and complete. It is a scary thing when we resist God and he gives us what we want. And so I just want to share this again, that we need to take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of us an evil, unbelieving heart that leads us away from God. And we need to take seriously and respond to his voice. This morning, as you hear his voice speak to you, I want to encourage you, write it down, respond to it, because when we don't, our hearts can harden and we can become dull of hearing. And what we're seeing in our passage this morning is what's called a judicial hardening, where because Israel defiantly refused to receive Jesus as Messiah, God has given them over to their own stubbornness. And... Basically, what that means is he's removed his gracious hand of restraint and trying to lead them and trying to correct them. And that leads to the hardening of your heart. And and he's basically saying, since you don't want me, since you won't respond to my love for you, I'm going to help you go in the direction that you want to go. I'm going to harden your hearts. And then... God does something that only God can do. He says, and I'm going to take your rebellion and use it to bless those who are going to respond. So if you're taking notes, the third thing I want us to see here is that God uses man's disobedience and obedience to advance the gospel. God uses man's disobedience and obedience to advance the gospel. Verse 11, Paul continues So I ask, did Israel stumble in order that they might fall? That word fall means to be utterly destroyed. Paul keeps asking the same question, it seems like. Has has Israel uh, hardened their hearts so far that they cannot be saved? He says, and he continues, says, by no means. Rather, through their... Now, this is where we got to really chew, okay? Rather, through their trespass, Salvation has come to the Gentiles. You see what Paul is saying here? God is using Israel's disobedience to advance the gospel to the Gentiles. And basically, if you'll remember when we were going through the book of Acts and Paul comes onto the scene and he begins to, he gets saved and he begins to preach the gospel from city to city. When he entered into a city, the first place always that he went to was a Jewish synagogue. He first went to the Jews, and there seems to be a pattern if you read the book of Acts where he would go in, present the gospel, a few would believe, the remnant, and the majority would say, no, get out of here. They they would kick him out, and what would he do? He would go to the Gentiles. And what happened with the Gentiles? They gladly received the gospel. That's what this passage is talking about. And so God uses Israel's disobedience to bring the riches and the gospel to the Gentiles. That's amazing. But that's not all. There's more, okay? On the other hand, God uses the Gentiles, and he's going to use the Gentiles, our obedience, to advance the gospel, to bring it back to Israel, okay? Uh, Let's look at that in verse 11. I'm going to read verse 11 again. So I asked, did Israel stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And look at this, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if Israel's trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean. In other words, if God can use Israel's rejection of Jesus to bring salvation to the Gentile world, think about what it's going to be like when the nation of Israel turns and believes in Jesus. Verse 13, Paul says, now I am speaking to you Gentiles, Inasmuch then as I am apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Now, what does he mean, I magnify my ministry? Basically, he's saying, I give myself fully to the Gentiles. If you remember, Peter was the, the uh, apostle to the Jews and Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. He goes, I give myself fully because I want as many Gentiles to believe in Jesus, I magnify my ministry. Why? Verse 14 is the answer. Why? In order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some. This is, this is uh, mind-boggling if you really stop and think about it, uh, that God is using Gentiles being saved to cause the Jews who had the Savior, who rejected him, he's using Gentiles who are obeying to help Jews who are disobedient to become jealous and then to come to Jesus. Now, what does that mean that that they are, that they're becoming, he's using, he wants to make them jealous. What, What does he mean by that? Well, John Stott says this in his commentary on the book of Romans. Paul knows that when Israel sees the blessings of salvation being enjoyed by believing Gentiles, their reconciliation to God and to each other, their forgiveness, their joy, their love, joy, and peace through the Spirit, they will covet these blessings for themselves. And it is implied, will repent and believe in Jesus in order to secure them. You know, it's kind of like that guy in high school or, or college who breaks up with, with his girlfriend because he doesn't really think he wants to date her anymore. And then she goes off and starts dating this other guy. And the guy that broke up's kind of like, ooh, what was I thinking? That girl is hot, or whatever he's thinking, right? I, I was a fool for letting... Her go. And that's, that, you know, the guy hears, you know, Chicago's uh, song, Hard Habit to Break. I see all my 80s people. You don't know what you got. Come on, Leslie. Until it's gone. And I found out a little too late. <laughs> Dylan, where are you at? Can we sing that at the end here? you're a, okay so but that's what that's kind of what it's like and see the first century church they were salty gentiles they were on fire for Jesus they loved him and Paul is saying that God is going to use these salty gentiles to make Israel thirsty for Jesus now that makes me ask this question about my life about your life. Does your life make those around you thirsty for Jesus? Is your life salty enough to make those around you thirsty? In other words, and this is what that means, is, your, is God able to use your obedience to advance the gospel? what I mean by that is by the way you live your life and by what you say, are you living a life that reveals the gospel, that reveals that Jesus really is who he says he is and he's worthy to be worshiped and followed. And I think that sometimes that we can forget uh, what God is doing. I think that sometimes we can can share the gospel and we can get discouraged wherever we are because we don't see immediate results. And so it causes us to go, you know, uh, this isn't worth it. I, I failed in what I'm doing here. But I want to tell you a story about a guy named Lee Strobel. You may have heard of him before. He was He's a well-known Christian author who who was an atheist and he came to Christ and he was working at the Chicago Tribune uh, early in his uh, before he became a, a national speaker he was working at the Chicago Tribune and he was sharing his faith with his co-workers and there was this one guy that he had been ministering to ministering to and the guy just kept rejecting Christ and one one day as the as the day was winding down um, it was a few employees were left in the building and he felt like the Holy Spirit was telling him, go go to that guy one more time. And so Lee says that he went to the guy, uh, he shared the gospel, and, and the guy was basically like, why, why, are, why are you telling me this again? I mean, we've already talked about this. I don't believe. And so as you might expect, Lee went away just disappointed and discouraged and, and felt like he had failed. And maybe, maybe I didn't hear the Lord and uh, years passed and he was speaking. He had become the uh, national speaker that he is today and he was speaking at a conference. And at the end, a, a man came up to him and said, hey, I want, you, I want to let you know that, uh, you may not know this, but God used, has used your ministry to bring me to Christ. And the man went on to say, I was, um, I don't know if you remember this, but I was a janitor working at the Chicago Tribune. And one night I overheard you sharing the gospel to this coworker who did not receive it. But as I was listening, I thought, that makes sense. And I went home and started studying who Jesus is. I began to, to look at his person and exploring who is this Jesus. And eventually, I put my faith in Christ. So I just want to let you know that. Listen, uh, that's just an example of, of how we don't ever know what God is doing with our obedience this side of eternity. He uses our obedience somehow to advance his gospel in the lives of others. I don't know how he does it, but he does. So I just want to encourage us again, be faithful, be obedient, because God uses our obedience to advance the gospel. And the good news for the nation of Israel is is that God has given the gospel to the Gentiles in order to win some of Israel back to himself. Verse 15, Paul goes on and says, For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, that is, if Israel's rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Paul is clear that Israel has been hardened right now because of their unbelief. But in verse 22, he goes on to say, Note then the kindness and severity of God. The kindness and severity. Severity toward those who have fallen. Severity to those who have not believed. But God's kindness to you who have believed, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even if they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in. Paul is using the analogy of an olive tree, of how much of the nation of Israel was broken off so that the Gentiles could be grafted in. He's saying, don't get proud, Gentiles. God God can remove like he put in. So walk by faith. And then in verse 25, Paul seems to take it a step further. He says, lest You be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. We are living in what some would call uh, the the age of the Gentiles, where the, the, the Lord has been gracious to bring in the Gentiles through the gospel. Verse 26, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Paul appears to be in this section speaking of a time where there's going to be this massive revival within the nation of Israel, and they're going to repent, and they're going to come back to God. In verse 28, he says, As regards the gospel, gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved, beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that they that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And just to kind of summarize everything that we've seen here in chapter 11, basically thousands of years ago, God came to a man named Abraham. He said, listen, if you will by faith Trust me and obey me and and come out from among your people. I'm gonna make you into a great nation. And from that great nation, the Messiah is gonna come. So Abraham obeyed. God used his obedience to bring about this great nation and to bring Jesus to us through that nation. Now, the nation of Israel, when Jesus came, what did they do? They disobeyed, they rejected Jesus. They rejected the very one that they had been looking for. Is it all over? No. God says, I'm actually going to use Israel's rebellion to propel Jesus, the gospel, to the Gentiles. What happened? The Gentiles said, yes, we want Jesus, Messiah. And we began to receive him. And we are receiving him. Why? To be made right with God, but also twin back Israel who was rebellious God that that's what Paul is is showing here in this in verse chapters 9 10 and 11 the sovereignty of God how God's sovereignty works with man's uh, free will and the ability to make real choices and somehow co- brings them together to cause all things to work together for those who love the Lord and it's like Paul, it's saying only God can do this. Only God can orchestrate this. And then he breaks out into worship in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and, his, and how inscrutable, that is, how incomprehensible his ways For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen? Amen.